Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. combined coastal choirs across the Gulf Coast were the uh, singers for at the Mississippi Baptist Convention last week, and they sang on Tuesday night. Was it Tuesday night? Tuesday night. And uh, our choir was the, uh, they drove the train. Let me just put it to you that way. They, they had more people in our choir than from any other church, not that that's a huge deal, but our people came out, and uh, Steve Hanshaw and Katie Cox were highlighted doing solos at the Mississippi Baptist Convention, and I won't be honest with you, I did something that I don't like to do, and I don't like to see anybody else do it, although I don't know they're doing it, and that is get a little distracted from worship. But I leaned over when, uh, and I said, uh, to a lady sitting next to me, said, when Stephen was singing, I said, that's one of my sheep from Ocean Springs down there. And she said, well, you see that man up there? That's, that's from my church. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then Katie was up, and I said, now, that girl is at First Baptist Ocean Springs. She's one of my sheep, and I baptized her in December. She was baptized in December and singing at the Mississippi Baptist Convention uh, in October. Amen. I got distracted. I was so proud. I was so proud of them. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. I want to preach today on a subject that um, we... Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I... Um, one of the reasons, just one of the reasons that normally, not in these last few weeks, but under normal conditions, I preach through books of the Bible. If not, I'm usually in a series of messages, but most of the time through books of the Bible. As you know, we just finished Obadiah, and in January we're starting 2 Samuel. But um, you preach through books of the Bible or series of messages on subjects and texts of the Scripture because you don't, you get tempted to avoid the difficult things. You get tempted to deal with 
what we're going to deal with today uh, in different settings and not in the, the full church body. And so I, I don't run from it, but I certainly do take pause because I, I want us to understand the very seriousness of this doctrine. And so I preach today from John chapter 3, verse 16 as a starting point on the subject, whatever happened to hell? Whatever happened to hell? And um, I want to read the text to you, and then we're going to dive into this subject in the Scriptures. I start with John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You cannot thoroughly explain John 3.16 without the doctrine of hell. The word condemned is used more in our text than the word loved. But it is a love that comes so we do not have to stand in our condemnation. It is what the cross is all about. And so I pray when you read and quote John 3.16, you will always remember it is in the context of a religious man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night and Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not see, experience, know, be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And then he explained to him about the new birth and he explained to him about his great love and why Jesus came as the gift of God given by God to the cross so that man can be forgiven of his sins and you can be forgiven of your sins and no longer stand in condemnation, which condemnation means separation from God today because of sin but it means hell tomorrow, forever. So whatever happened to hell, you don't hear it much anymore. You don't hear it proclaimed as much anymore. 
Well, I want to give you, if I can, let, let's go to the classroom, if I can take you to the classroom, and talk to you about a historical perspective of just what has happened to hell in the theological classrooms of our schools and seminaries and in our pulpits and ultimately in our pews. I recall years ago an acquaintance of mine who um, was being promoted in another state convention, not Mississippi. And by, he was being promoted by those who were more moderate in terms of their convictions about what the Bible is. Well, let me just say they were flat-out liberal. And um, they were promoting him. And in that promotional aspect of, of his ministry, and he was a good man. I, I, I like this man. He was a good man. He was called to a church that was attended by most, if not all, of the theological Bible professors in a Baptist college of that state. And uh, he was there a few months, and he stood up, and he preached a sermon on hell. And that afternoon the chairman of the Bible department of that college who was a member of that church called a meeting and they dismissed the pastor because of his beliefs about hell. And he was distraught and couldn't believe it. But that has happened. So whatever happened to hell? Well, let me just give you four ideas of hell that have developed since... Um, I'm going to say probably since the second century. Since the, since the second century. First of all, there is the idea of what we call universalism. Universalism, according to Charles Ryrie, states that sooner or later all will be saved. The older form of universalism, which originated in the second century, taught that salvation would come after a temporary period of punishment. The new universalism of our day declares that all men are now saved, though all do not realize it. Therefore, the job of the preacher and the missionary is to tell people that they are already saved. And then from there, as all heresies and all things that are contrary to the plain teaching of Scripture, all of them evolve or devolve, rather, there came this idea that hell is a scandal. It's a scandal for the church. In the 19th century England, and if you ever um, study the, the pulpits of 19th century England, you will find that they had some mighty preachers of the Word of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of them. Read Spurgeon every chance you get. And other great pulpiteers in that Victorian era of England, mighty preachers. But within the denomination called the Church of England 
Anglican, the Church of England. There was a growing angst against the doctrine of hell as taught in Scripture and held by uh, the church for a hundred years afterwards. And, and then it began to devolve within pulpits across the land. There was a preacher by the name of F.W. Robertson. He was among the most popular of the Victorian preachers, and he acknowledged to his congregation this. He said, All have learned to smile at the idea of eternal hell, for in bodily awful torture we believe no longer. And he declared that his church, a leading church in England at the time, would no longer believe in the doctrine of hell as described in the Scriptures. At the famous Westminster Abbey, if you ever go to London and if you ever want to send me there, this is where I'm going to go. I'm going to go see Spurgeon's Tabernacle and Spurgeon's Tomb, and I'm going to see Westminster Abbey and other places, I'm sure. But there was a preacher who was chaplain to the queen, F.W. Farrar, Farrar was his name. And he called the traditional doctrine of hell as blasphemy against the merciful God. In his book, in the book uh, written by several, but edited by uh, Al Mohler, one of our Southern Baptist seminary presidents, he made this observation about Victorian England and even today. He said, whereas preachers in earlier eras were concerned to save people from the punishment of hell, Farrar and his like-minded colleagues were determined to save their congregations from the fear of the idea of hell. And that devolved a little bit more. And now we have this idea that still permeates our, our culture and our pulpits that hell is here and now. As with all heretical notions, it just devolved. It gets worse. At the onset of the 20th century, World War I came about. Trench warfare. The world had never seen such. And then World War II. Worldwide bloody carnage. The Holocaust the atrocities across the world and the globe. Theologians in the churches and the churches at large turned further away from the Bible descriptions and the Bible teaching on heaven and hell. Because how in the world could you tell somebody who had suffered so much carnage and atrocities that there was something worse in eternity. Hell must be here. And how could you tell the American church and the American population in the 50s a great time of prosperity and ease of living, how can you tell them that there is something better called heaven beyond the grave? And so the idea of heaven and hell became what is now. You go through hell now. You are experiencing heaven now. And the Bible was contradicted at another level. 
But today, today in churches across the land, and I know people like this, I know people who believe this, and in theological circles and in many of our schools who teach the preachers to go into the pulpits and preach, we have the idea that hell is a reality. But it's just not what you think. It's just not what Dr. Mike has told you it is. While no heresy is completely new, in the 1970s, when American evangelicals began to introduce themselves in force, they began to introduce a clear departure in the evangelical conservative churches of our, na of our nation, idea and doctrines of hell. At first, these evangelical leaders were on the periphery. They were outside. And in the 1980s, the debate over the nature and existence of hell was center stage. Now, those like what I'm about to describe to you are in the mainstream, the mainstream of quote-unquote evangelical leadership in pulpits and churches, especially in the millennial age group and younger. Time does not allow me to go into depth into this, but I want to say there are two veins of thought about hell that are prominent now. And if you haven't heard these, it's because you listen to the right people. But if you had heard these, you're listening to the wrong people. First of all, there is this idea of uh, annihilation. Formerly, it was called annihilationism. But that got guys like us so riled up that they changed their title for their doctrine. Now they call it conditional immortality. And people who die apart from Christ do not experience conscious torment in hell forever. Rather, it may be, they say, for a period of time, but then... Or right at death, they simply just cease to exist. The only way they have life is if they are Christians. But if they are not Christians, they die and they cease to exist. They're, they're no longer at all. They're, they're not here. They vaporize body, soul, and spirit's gone. It's called conditional immortality. But if you want to live forever then I will tell you that um, uh, you need to receive Christ and you can live forever in heaven and have a resurrected body. But if you don't receive Christ, when you die on planet Earth, you will just cease to exist. You'll be annihilated, gone. I wish I had the time to address that more. Then there is another idea. And this is um, put out, uh, well... I, I don't know if he originated it, but a guy named Rob Bell, who many people read, I've been asked about him. Um, he um, purports this in his book. I'm not going to tell you the title of the book because I don't want you to go get it. But um, he says that hell itself 
will convince people to come to Christ. He said, the gates of heaven will always be open and love will win. It's a twist on universalism, but in the end, it's universalism altogether. Love will win. So basically, in the modern American church, in many circles... Now, I want to tell you, I know a few guys like this, but I want to tell you, I'm thankful I know a whole lot more who believe the Word of God. And thank God that, we're, that I'm not alone. And, and there's more than... Uh, Elijah only had 700 but we have more than that. But I want to tell you, basically, this thought says, says this, hell is real, but hell is harmless. Hell is real, but hell is harmless. There's nothing to it. Well, where did these ideas come from? Where do such thoughts develop? And whether you agree with them or not, right now is not the issue because... They did not develop from Scripture. And you have to agree with that, whether you agree with those theories and philosophies and heresies or not. But um, in the 1990s, the convictions of evangelicals rising on the scene, gaining great strength, Evangelicals or so-called evangelicals, they were being shaped and formed not by allegiance to biblical authority, but by the currents of our culture. The American culture has changed its view on God, dear friends. It has changed its view on salvation and justice and sin. You might recall a term if you kept up with it. I haven't heard it in a number of years. But we are seeing the residual effects of it today. And that is the idea of seeker-sensitive churches. You remember that? Seeker-sensitive churches. It was a big movement back then. Early 2000s, 1990s. And the seeker-sensitive churches was this behind this idea was let's make sure we are being sensitive to our culture and adapt to our culture. Well, you know what? We need to be all things to all men. We really do. We, we, we need to be outside in our culture. Go where the people are. I agree with that. But we cannot change our doctrine for them. We cannot. And so what I can remember early on, the pressure that was coming uh, from uh, different circles. And I say pressure. It, I never did get pressured much. I guess it's because I'm a little hard-headed. I can get an amen from the first pew. But um, take a survey of your town. And find out what they want in a church. And then do it. Can you imagine? Let me just talk to the men right now. Can you imagine your wife coming to you and saying, I'm sending a survey out to the men in our neighborhood. And I'm going to get them to tell me what kind of wife 
they want me to be to you. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I do know because you're men. But you wouldn't be much of a man if you shut that, didn't shut that down right quick. Amen? It'd be time to put the pants on in the house. Can you imagine the jealousy of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous jealousy that would burn within his heart when his bride goes to a pagan, Christ-denying world and says, tell us what you want us to say. But that's exactly what happened. And now the doctrine of hell has migrated to nothing. There was a, a scholar by the name of Kimon Halland Sargent. He wrote a, a book and studied seeker-sensitive churches who adopted that model. And um, he came and noted that today's cultural pluralism fosters an underemphasis on the hard sell of hell while contributing to an overemphasis on the soft sell of personal satisfaction through Jesus Christ. The problem is thus more complex and pervasive than a theological rejection of hell. It also includes the avoidance of the issue in the face of cultural pressure. In other words, in such pulpits and pews, hell is either rejected, redefined, and if not, most likely ignored. Liberal pulpits ask the question, how can it be? It does not fit with our view of God and salvation and sin. Let us rid ourselves of it and make it a symbol of what is now. Pseudo fake evangelicals ask, how will the culture respond to the doctrine of hell? Not well, so let us adjust it. But dear friend, I want to tell you, I pray that as long as there is breath in my body and a pulpit to stand behind and preach, I will always ask the question, not what does culture say or what does Mike Barnett want to say or what does the congregation want to say. I will always ask, what does the Bible say? And be an echo of the Word of God. Let us be that church. Let us be that church. And then we believe it. Act out our convictions. So what does the Bible say about hell? What does the Bible say? We find the reality of hell in the Old Testament. We find the reality of hell in the Gospels. We find the reality of hell in, in the epistles of Paul and Peter and John and the Revelation. You know what's very interesting though? Paul, the apostle, never, ever uses, in the Greek New Testament, never uses the words that are translated hell. But he describes it. And he plays it out in descriptive terms of what hell is 
and what hell is like. Much like our text today, we did not read the word hell, but we read the word condemnation. It is a place of condemnation. And so today, I want to highlight some of what Jesus said about hell. Our culture likes to ask, what would Jesus do? And I hope they would believe that Jesus would do what he says he will do. So let's ask what Jesus will do by seeing what Jesus says. And then we'll give our response. And I'll just give you a few things. We're going to be in several scriptures that I'm going to read today. And I, 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 you can follow along if you, if you will, but I'm going to go through these pretty much without pause as long as it takes me to turn to them. But I will tell you, number one, Jesus spoke of hell as punishment. Jesus spoke of hell as punishment. Turn with me, if you want to, in your Bible to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And I hasten to tell you that um, some people say what I'm about to read to you is a parable. And that's okay. Others say it's not a parable. It's about 50-50. Good, good people on both sides. It's not worth splitting hairs over, but I will tell you, I personally do not believe it is a parable because it uses proper name, a proper name. And so I read Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember, remember thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that they who would pass from here to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from there Jesus spoke of hell he had a lot to say but he, in this text he says three things about hell in terms of punishment first of all he says it is a conscious punishment this man was awake this man suffered. This man experienced torment and flames and was able to speak. Also, he speaks of hell in terms of a compliant punishment. If I were to ever address a group of these preachers and ministers and theologians that I talk to, I probably would be outclassed intellectually, there's no doubt, but I would like to ask them one question. Why is it you have a problem with hell as the Bible says, and what the Bible says about hell? 
when those in hell itself had no problem with it. There are many things in hell. We're going to see this rich man in hell crying out and concerned for his lost family members. That's in hell. Tears are in hell. Many things are in hell. A conscience is in hell. But I want to tell you one thing that's not in hell. What is not in hell is a sense of unfairness, a sense that this is not just. Read the Revelation and you see those who are in hell. Read this text and you see this man in hell and they do not say, I don't deserve this, this is not fair. As a matter of fact, the rich man was compliant and he did ask for mercy. You do not ask for mercy without knowing you deserve the punishment given. And so it is a compliant. Why is it so compliant? Because doesn't the Bible tell us that every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, both in heaven and in hell? Well, this is this man when he asked for mercy and did not receive it. It was not granted. This was him bowing, I deserve this. So it is a compliant punishment. And then also I will tell you it is a constant punishment. Jesus himself, we cannot come to you and you cannot come to us. There is a great gulf fixed. He speaks of hell as a separation, constant. But let me correct myself. Separation is not a good word used to describe hell. Separation needs to describe the person without Christ here and now. Separation implies there is some hope of union. The proper term that the old-time theologians used was banishment. Depart from me, Jesus said, to those who were doing good things. This man was banished forever. It is banishment speaks of God's active judgment. Banishment highlights what one is missing, the eternal exclusion from the graces and mercies and hope of God in Christ. A great gulf. Separation is a word that implies there is the possibility of reconciliation. The one without Christ now, you now, are separated from God because of your sin, but there is the hope. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have life through him and live through him. There is that possibility of the separated being reconciled, but in hell it is banishment. There is no hope of reunion. That's what Jesus said. And that brings us to the next thing. The next thing Jesus said about hell, it is, is permanent. It is permanent. Let me read Matthew 25 
Verse 41, Then he shall say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is not prepared for you. It is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer, Lord, when? And he said, this is when. And they did not argue with him. They did not argue with him. And he says in verse 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Heaven is eternal, permanent, and so is hell. So Jesus spoke of hell as permanent. But there's another among the many things, just three today. Hell, he spoke of hell as punishment. He spoke of hell as permanent. And he spoke of hell in terms of people. And he described the kind of people, what people will be in hell forever. And I want to read about those kind of people and give you a brief description of each. Perhaps this is you. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribe and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. He's talking about final judgment, hell. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whoever shall say to his brother Raka, which was a, just a derogatory term of derision, shall be in danger of the council, so even the Jewish leaders knew we needed to respect and one another and avoid such vitriol speech about one another and to one another. But then he said, But whoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. So people in hell uh, will have a heart that is not right with God. They have hatred in their heart. They have lust in their heart. He will go on to say, you say thou shalt not commit adultery, and that's right, but if you look at a woman to lust, you have it in your heart. You've committed adultery in your heart. And those are the kind of people that go to hell. And then he said, those who have disdain in anger, unrighteous anger in their heart toward others. That's the kind of people who will inhabit hell. And then you can flip over to, to Matthew chapter 10. I want to give you one more if you're following along. I'll read it if you, if you do not. That's fine. Jesus said, And fear not them who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Those who do not fear the Lord, those who do not fear God, are in hell. 
chapter 11 and verse 23, Jesus speaking to a whole city said, And thou Calpurnium, his headquarters, his Galilean headquarters, which art exalted unto heaven, you shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained in this day. But I say unto you that it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee, people who disregard the great work of God, the miracles done, the preaching done in that area, in that city where Jesus lived and had his headquarters in Galilee. People who reject and, and disregard the great works of God. And he also told us there will be degrees of such retribution. To whom much is given, much will be required. That's in life and that is also in hell. And then we go to Matthew 23, one of the saddest of all to me. Matthew 23. And I want to read verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him a twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Not only those who preach and purport false doctrine, but those who believe false doctrine will be the inhabitants of hell, according to Jesus. And now go back to the Gospel of Luke where we were a moment ago, and I want to read more about that rich man in hell. Now, I want you to note something. When the Bible says he was rich and how he fared sumptuously every day and, and, and Lazarus was down there at the, at the bottom outside on the sidewalk, if you will, and the rich man would scrape his crumbs out and Lazarus would eat the crumbs and the dog would come lick his sores and it was just an awful experience. Jesus doesn't say that's why that man's in hell. He's just describing that man's life. He's telling us what the facts were. And in hell, everything's reversed. This man who fared sumptuously every day is now in hell. And the beggar's in heaven. He's not in heaven because he was a beggar. And he's not in hell because he was rich. But in hell, this man did something remarkable. This man did something that the church needs to do. And that is pray for the lost. Look at verse 27. When he found out there was no mercy, he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, thou wouldest send to me, send to my father's house. For I have five brethren, five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, Jesus said, they have the word of God. Do you see how we must be faithful in proclaiming the word of God? They have the word of God. And he said, nay, Father, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Say, how do you know that? Well, Jesus rose from the dead, and most of the world is not persuaded. 
Lazarus rose from the dead, and they wanted to kill Lazarus. And so those in hell do not heed the word of God and repent at the hearing of it. Now I want you to make note, all these people I just described to you, that is their character, that is their heart, that is what they are like, that is what marks their life. But if you go back to our text in John chapter 3 verse 16, Jesus gives us his words about hell and his love and the cross, the gift of God, eternal life. And he speaks in, term, in terms of belief. These people were like this because they rejected Christ. They did not believe the gospel. They did not believe what God said about them. Therefore, they didn't fear God. They didn't regard the works of God. They believed false doctrine. They did not heed the word of God. They held on to their anger. They held on to their lust. They had disdain for others. It just was the way their life was because they were not redeemed and reconciled and changed and were not that new creature that Paul talks about. And so in John 3, when Jesus talks about believing on the name and believing in Christ, whosoever believeth in him shall not be condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. He is talking about why they are in hell. These other texts talk about the kind of people they are. Do you want to spend eternity with those kind of people? Jesus said, the worm dies not. That character doesn't die. Hell is eternal. But Jesus said, you believe the gospel and you can be saved from hell. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, let me show you something else real quick. I know... Time is getting away, but I can't stop. Notice what Jesus said. Not everyone that says unto me. Now let me ask you something. What are you saying to the Lord? What are you saying to the Lord? Well, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in thy name have cast out demons, did miraculous things. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity, those filthy rags he's talking about. Friend, do you believe? What does biblical belief mean? It means that you intellectually believe this book and what it says, and you agree, you confess. It's true. You agree. The word confess in the New Testament is homologeo, to say the same thing in intellectually in your mind. You believe what it says about you, that you have sinned. You believe what it says about Jesus. He's the Son of God, went to the cross, 
for you and rose again. You intellectually believe the gospel, a historical event, and you trust, you trust the gospel. You trust Jesus. Not the things you say, Lord, Lord. Not the things you do, casting out demons, doing wonderful works, preaching in his name. You trust Jesus and what he did on the cross. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling is the old hymn. And you trust him alone for your salvation. That's what it means to believe. And you repent of your sin. You turn away from your sin. You don't want to live that way anymore for yourself. You don't want to be like these people we have mentioned who do not fear God, who do not regard the great works of God, who have believed false doctrine, who do not repent at the hearing of the word of God, who have disdain for others and disrespect and unkindness and lust and anger. You do not want to be... And whatever sin that God convicts you of, you turn from. Trusting the cross is sufficient, and it is it is, it is. Here is the logic, dear friend. Here is the logic. Three things you must do. This is what you must do. Number one, do you believe the Bible? I want to challenge you to believe the Bible. Believe what God says, not the culture, not your own sentiment. Life is not a movie. We will be judged by the Word of God, and we must believe it. Do you believe the Bible? Pastor, I have problems. I have struggles believing the Word of God. Then be honest about it to the Lord and tell Him of that struggle. Talk to Him. You say, well, preacher, I don't even know if I believe in Him. Well, still talk to Him. Talk to Him. And ask him for help. One man said, Lord, I, I, I believe, I want to believe, and I, I, I do have something in me that believes, but help my unbelief. And Jesus helped his unbelief, and he'll help your unbelief. And then listen to the Word of God. Keep coming to First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs, until you get it. Because I promise you one thing, I'm going to preach this book. And get in a Sunday school class. And ask God to help you in your unbelief. And then say, Lord, here's the real test. Lord, I've read this in your Bible. I'm going to put it to work in my life. And I want to tell you, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Second, I want to ask you this. What do you do with hell? Believe the Bible. Number two, will you get a mission? Will you get a mission? Will you get a loved one that you need to win to Jesus? Let me ask you, will you rededicate yourself to the Lordship of Jesus? Jesus said, all authority, all Lordship is given unto me, and he gave us the Great Commission. Will you commit yourself to the Lordship of Christ as a Christian? Will you pray and ask God, to burden you with one soul, a loved one, a child, a grandson, a husband. Maybe in your Sunday school class, 
You have a man or a woman whose spouse is not saved. Get them. Make them your mission. Make them your mission. Will you pray and ask God to burden you a soul, a neighbor, a teammate, a schoolmate, a schoolmate, a friend? Will you make that person when God burdens you and you keep praying till he does? And will you make that person your mission for 2023? Will you put them on the list so we, your church family, can be in mission together? Here's how you put them on the list. These forms are out there. They're out here. You can get them online. You can do it online. Who's your mission? Only one mission per form. People have asked me, preacher, can we do more than one? I have more than one. Amen. Do as many as you want. I'm going to pray for them all. Look, I'm quitting some of the things I do, extracurricular, so I can dedicate time to pray for these people and you. And you write their name down, your, your name, your mission, their relationship, tell us a little bit about them, how old they are, etc. And you turn this form in, there's a box right out there. You can fold it up. You can bring it to us. We'll make sure it gets in the right place. You can do it online. But you can do that today. If you've been praying, you can do that today and get your mission on the list. Will you commit to pray for the missions of your church family? We're going to have orchestrated prayer times. Wednesday night, after the pastor's Bible study, we're going to be in there, uh, back in there, and the activity's building, praying for the lost. Choir's going to be praying for the lost after they're done with choir rehearsal on Wednesday night. Our children and youth will too. And we're going to have times and seasons of prayer in our church for the lost and for the missionaries who are trying to reach them. And will you make this commitment formal? We'll tell you how to do that later, but will you make it formal on January 22nd, 2023? I said a while ago, I said earlier on, I was talking to the staff about it, and I said, guys, we will have opposition to this. I said, we're going to have, uh, the devil's going to get in the works. I said, and somebody, you know, that old argument, that old dead, rotten Mentality. Well, that's the preacher's job. It's going to pop up. Well, I want to tell you right now, I'm going to bury it. I'm going to throw more dirt on it. Amen. Concrete it in. Put it in the vault. But I want to tell you, here's the logic. If heaven is sweet and real, and it is, and if hell is hot and tormenting and terrible, and it is, and you have the bread of life that you can feed to a sinner and get them out of hell and into heaven, you should. You should. You should. Will you get on mission? And then I want a third thing to do with hell. Are you desperate? Are you desperate? Are you desperate? Jesus said when he was talking there in Matthew and Mark about lust and he talked about those people having lust and he talked about the anger and murder in your heart 
He would go on and say, if your right arm offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. It is better to go through life maimed than into hell with a whole body. And we know he is not telling us to physically maim our body. His body was maimed for us on the cross. But he's talking to us about the desperation. Are you desperate, dear friend? You will spend eternity in hell without Christ, without believing the gospel, trusting, repenting of your sin, receiving Christ. You will spend eternity in hell. And church, as far as who's your mission, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We are practicing what he told us in Matthew 16 when Peter gave the great confession and Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you go soul winning and you preach the gospel and you proclaim Christ, you are storming the gates of hell. We get it mixed up. We think hell's going to attack us and we just sit around waiting for it. No, sir. Gates are always defensive. We go after hell. We don't wait for it to come to us. So get your mission. And maybe you are a mission today. Are you desperate? Do you need the Lord Jesus to save you? Teenagers, if you were to die right now, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? You need Jesus if the answer's no. Adults, are you certain 100% beyond a doubt that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If your answer is no, you need Christ. You need Jesus. You need to be saved. Hell is real. Heaven is real. We stand in between to point the way and share the gospel. And I've done that. Would you come to Jesus? Would you commit to a mission? Get serious about believing the Bible and trust God with what He can do for you. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com. 